Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, I wanted to spend a little time doing a bit of a check-in on the Me Too movement and some of the discussion that's come up around it. Let me first say I'm glad that there's still discussion about this because I think a lot of people thought the uh, issue would go away pretty quickly, and I don't think we're ready for it to go away quite yet. The discussion that I'm seeing coming up around it, though, is quite interesting, and there are a few threads that I wanted to talk about on this episode. The first is whether even talking about these Me Too moments is even constructive. And this comes up because I saw an article about women in France thinking that um, this is getting a little out of hand. I think this is surrounding the Aziz Ansari story and questioning whether we are blurring the lines between sex and flirting on one hand and discrimination and harassment on the other. And I think this is a good discussion to have. It raises questions around where do we draw the line? And this is an important question that I think is really unresolved in the United States in particular in the workplace and is highly dependent on the particular relationship between the people involved in any action. What I mean by that is that everyone has their own particular comfort, I would say as an absolute, but also relative to other people. What crosses the line with one person may not cross the line with another person. And this can seem confusing and unfair uh, if you're the person who is accused of crossing that line. But what I think it speaks to is finding where that line is with everyone. And I think there, there is some pushback to this concept that, oh, that's a lot of work and why should I have to do that and why can't people just accommodate what is comfortable for one person? Why can't that be comfortable for someone else? And I think it just comes back to the fact that we're all complex, nuanced human beings and we do have different lines and different experiences. So I think there's a fairly easy way to approach this. And I say easy, not that it doesn't take a lot of work, but that it is a line that is fairly easy to find. And that is just to get to know the people that you work with and approach that line carefully and conservatively. So, for example, if you have a new coworker and you don't know that person, don't approach that person in a way that you might approach someone you know really well. It's common sense that, for example, you treat people you don't know with a little more care and distance than the people you know really well. We can do the same thing in the workplace and take those steps more carefully um, until we get to know people better. So I would encourage people to spend some time to get to know each other, have conversations about what people are comfortable with and not comfortable with, and really respect those lines and, and take care in approaching them. Another part of the discussion that I've seen a lot of, of writing about recently is on the topic of how Me Too is impacting mentoring of women by men, in particular senior men mentoring more junior women. This is really not a new discussion. It's been going on for as long as I've been a lawyer, um, and I'm sure it's been going on longer than that. There has always been some discomfort with, for example, an older man going out to dinner with a younger woman, and how will that be perceived? Um, Or how does it make those two people feel? And 
I think the, the, the reaction of the Mike Pence rule is a huge overreaction and frankly ridiculous and is not the solution. What I think is important here it has been called out in a couple different articles that I've read recently, which is to come up with a rule that you can apply evenly regardless of gender. So for example, if you're, if you're a male and you're uncomfortable mentoring a female over dinner, then don't mentor males over dinner. Find some activity that you can apply e evenly between genders and stick to that so that you, you are giving equal, fair treatment to the male and female mentees that you might have. Another approach is to invite multiple men mentees to a mentoring session. So if your preference as the mentor is to go to dinner, then invite a male and a female mentee to that dinner and you avoid the appearance of impropriety or the uncomfortableness of it being a male and female only. So I think these are really good suggestions. They're pretty common sense. And there are a lot of different ways this could play out. You can find activities that work for you and for your mentees and that make everybody comfortable. And that way you're, you're giving equal access to information to both men and women, which is really important. So I would, I would challenge you this week to apply that rule and see how it impacts your mentoring relationships. Another topic that's being discussed right now is Me Too fatigue. People saying, you know, we get it already, let's move on, we understand there's a problem, let's go fix it. And I think this is dangerous, and I think we need to resist it. It strikes me that the, the, the fatigue of hearing Me Too stories has happened pretty quickly. And if you compare that to how long these stories have been happening, how long these experiences have been experienced by women, it, we are not even close to approaching the same period of time. So I would say we need to get comfortable with the fact that we're going to talk about this for a long time, and we need to keep this discussion going. This fatigue is frankly unacceptable and is disrespectful to the women who have suffered the harassment and discrimination that we're hearing in these stories. We still have a lot of work to do, and I think people still don't quite appreciate how deeply this runs across all demographics. And what we're seeing is that certain demographics are uh, being revealed for their Me Too moments earlier than others, and it's important that we let all of the affected demographics tell their stories, and we get a full appreciation for how deeply this runs. It is painful to hear the stories, but until we more broadly appreciate how ingrained this behavior is in our society and our workplaces, we're not going to be in a position to fix it. So be patient and continue to listen and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. The last thing I wanted to talk about is emotion and how it is playing out in the current Me Too environment. There is a lot of anger. There's a lot of anger among women who are frustrated that it's taken this long. There are women who are frustrated and angry with the fatigue that I just mentioned. There's a lot of anger among women right now, and that anger is justified. We have experienced and heard these stories for many decades. We didn't get to be fatigued about them. Women are angry about the backlash against the Me Too movement that we're seeing in a lot of different corners. We're also angry about ridiculous suggestions like the Mike Pence rule. Simply put, there's a lot of anger. And I think it's good that we're expressing this anger. 
We need it. It's cleansing. We need to feel and express the injustice that's been going on for so long. But it's also interesting to see how women express or don't express their anger. And one example of this is Uma Thurman. She held off on expressing her opinion on the Me Too movement some time ago, and she's recently shared her story. But what's interesting in that, aside from the story generally, is just about how anger is received when the messenger is a woman. It's a very complicated issue that plays out in workplaces and in society generally, and I think has caused a lot of women to be reluctant to express their anger because it either won't be heard in the way it's intended or it won't be heard at all. I think women generally have learned to navigate their professional anger. And what I mean by that is when we're at work and we're angry about how, for example, work is being handed out or promotions are made, things that are not as personal to us as sexual harassment or discrimination, we've learned how to express that anger in a way that may not appear angry, But this issue is really different. It's very emotional. It goes to the core of who we are and what we've experienced in our lives and in our workplaces. And I think it's been a challenge for women to find a path to express that anger in a way that will be heard and understood. And so I think we need to, as a society, find a way to better hear the anger of women. In the meantime... I would encourage women to stay angry and to express their anger. I know I've received feedback on this podcast that I don't seem angry enough. I don't express anger enough about the Me Too movement and harassment and discrimination generally. And I think that feedback is well taken. And let me also say that I appreciate all feedback and encourage it. So please share more. For me, I come at this from my background. And I think we all do. We all approach this issue with our personalities and our experiences informing the way we relate to it and the way we express it. I am a trained litigator. I have been trained to uh, express myself in a calm, measured manner that will be heard by a jury that will not negatively impact my client. And in a courtroom, anger is not always received well, certainly not from women. So I've moderated myself over the years to make sure that I don't appear to be a histrionic woman or an angry woman. Now, that doesn't excuse not expressing anger on this podcast because it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want on this podcast. However, it's hard to break those habits. I would also say that I think there are important roles for the different personalities in this movement. There is an important role for the women who are angry and able to express that anger in an angry way because it gets attention. It brings the issue to the forefront. It knocks down walls. It stays in the forefront. It tramples over fatigue. And it's absolutely critical to bring these issues to the attention of everyone. And that needs to happen. It needs to continue to happen. We're not done with that phase yet. I would call that phase one. Behind phase one, once we have everyone's attention, once people are ready for a solution, 
we need a second phase. We need a phase of people who can work together between male and female stakeholders to chart a new course, to find a new path, to build a new system and processes to enable a better way of interacting with each other. I fall into that second phase and I have the utmost respect for the women and men who are in that first phase because it's hard work, it's visible work, and there's a lot of backlash around that work. But my personality, my training, my skill set, I think is better suited for that second phase. And I think that phase is important too. We need to find a path that sets new rules, that calls out behavior, that makes it okay to call out behavior. There is a lot of work to be done in the future once we get everyone's attention and we're ready to affect change. So I encourage everyone listening to find the path that makes you most useful to this effort, whether you're in phase one or phase two, or maybe there are other phases that I'm not um, seeing right now. If you are in phase one and you want to express your anger, reach out to me. I'd love to have you on my podcast. And if you're in phase two and you have suggestions of things that we should be thinking about to move us forward, I would also like to hear from you. So reach out to me. You can DM me on Twitter. You can submit a comment through the website, unravelingpink.com contact. And in the meantime, as part of my phase two work, I will continue to highlight male ally moments and uh, share other perspectives as they arise. So if you have a male ally moment you'd like to share or another perspective that you think is relevant to this issue, let me know because together we can unravel the pink bandana.